We sing our thanks for Joseph, the guardian of our Lord, who faithfully taught Jesus through craft and deed and word. Grant wisdom, Lord, and patience to parents everywhere who guide and teach their children entrusted to their care. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today, uh, I think this definitely qualifies as a minor festival, Pastor. We're going to be looking at March 19. That's the day the church traditionally celebrates, honors, and remembers St. Joseph, Guardian of Jesus. Uh, Pastor, in... um, almost 40 years of this uh, preaching gig here, I can honestly tell you, isn't that something? I can honestly tell you that I have never preached on St. Joseph, Guardian of Jesus Day. What about you? I'm I'm trying to remember. I might have at a, um, uh, a gathering of pastors in uh, North Dakota when I was there, but... Uh, not for sure. Okay. Um, again, this is one of those minor festivals that generally falls right in the middle of Lent. And unless you are taking a whole bunch of minor, minor festivals and preaching on them for Wednesdays in Lent, this is one that's pretty easy to go by the wayside. I know some people transfer this uh, particular day to a uh, different day in the year, maybe a day when they're talking about the sanctity of human life, when they're talking about uh, parents, Christian parents and parenting, uh, maybe even a Christian education festival kind of a thing. But the appointed day is March 19, uh, St. Joseph, Guardian of Jesus. And I've got uh, just a a short little statement from the uh, Manual on the Liturgy, Lutheran Book of Worship, uh, pages uh, 60 and 61. The husband of the Virgin Mary was a carpenter who is portrayed in Scripture as a devout and honest man, concerned for his wife and the child. It seems that he was no longer living when Jesus began his ministry. The special remembrance of Joseph appears to have begun in the East and developed comparatively late in the West. The earliest commemoration was held in the 9th century. There was a major emphasis on his commemoration during the 15th century. And that's all we have. Um... The uh, resources are pretty scant, and maybe that's a good thing, so we can focus on the Word of God. Uh, thoughts about this day, or Joseph in general, Pastor? Well, um, you know, I think there's a, uh, like again, you just said, the focus should always be on our Lord Jesus Christ, but we also give thanks for Joseph for the work that he did that's recorded for us in the Scripture of protecting Jesus' uh, life as a father ought to uh, so that Jesus was able to grow up and preach and teach and do his ministry and uh, uh, die on the cross. I think, too, um, you know, there's always the uh, discussion about being a carpenter. I think the Greek word is tekton. Uh, uh, Maybe that's the wrong one, but um, the word there 
for when we're, we're speaking of the, the area of the world where Jesus lived, there's not a lot of trees. Uh, and so it means a builder. So, you know, stonemason or carpenter or both in the sense that he's building homes and things like that is kind of what his job is. And um, it, archaeologically speaking, just a couple miles from Nazareth was a city that's a Roman city that was being built at the time that Jesus would have lived. So, you know, that kind of gives you a perspective. He would be your typical construction worker type guy uh, working on things nearby in town. In uh, in Matthew chapter 1, we, uh, we see a little bit about Joseph that uh, um, he's pledged to be married to Mary, finds out that she is uh, going to have a baby, and you can imagine what thoughts are running through his head. The, uh, the angel Gabriel comes to him and explains to him uh, what's going on. The, uh, the text there in Matthew 1 says that he had in mind to divi- divorce her quietly. And uh, I, think, I think maybe we, we look past that uh, aspect of Joseph as well, because by law, by right, uh, he could have had Mary publicly stoned, publicly put to death for uh, obvious uh, uh, it looked like adultery, and uh, but Joseph wouldn't do that. And so I think that tells us something about the man and also the way he protected Mary and the child. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, when you get to uh, Deuteronomy, I think is where it talks about it, um, that uh, Joseph is using the law so that Mary won't be stoned to death, but uh, you have a rule that if you take a wife and you're not happy with her, then you give her back to her her uh, parents or something like that, Uh, and that's his plan then since she's pregnant. uh, Make it look like the child is his in that sense still, but uh, he's not going to be married to Mary if she was an adulterer, and praise God that he sent Gabriel to explain it all and that Joseph still stepped up and did the right thing uh, in that instance. I think it says he's a stand-up guy, still a sinner, but um, there's a reason that uh, the Lord picked him to be the stepfather. And, Jesus. and the the title of this day, St. Joseph, Guardian of Jesus, I think this guardian aspect comes out very, very clearly in the gospel reading that is appointed for today. We have Matthew 2, 13 to 15, and then 19 to 23. And so we're going to see another way in which Joseph is a guardian of Jesus. Pastor? Now when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and went into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. 
he shall be called a Nazarene. Okay, we have uh, several things in this uh, marvelous, marvelous text, and I'm so thankful that we get an opportunity to look at this because the um, this the flight into Egypt is not always a part of our regular pericopes for our Sunday morning worship, and an opportunity to examine this is uh, is outstanding. Pastor, as you read that, there were a couple of things that stuck out in my mind, and you can uh, address them in whatever order you want. The first is the whole angel dream, angel dream, the way God communicates his plan, his will to Joseph. And the, the other one here is uh, this was done so that the scripture could be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. This was done so that scripture would be fulfilled. Uh, he shall be called a Nazarene. There is seemingly extra emphasis, not only in this pericope, but in the entire gospel of Matthew, that everything is shown to be a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. We have that in Matthew 1, where the, the reference to Isaiah 7 and uh, the virgin birth is there. So, I mean, it's all throughout the, uh, the pages of Matthew. So, uh, one of those things, or both of them, whatever order you want to take them. Well, I think to start with, um, the angel coming in a dream to Joseph um, isn't something that we should expect to have happen to us. God doesn't speak uh, to us in our dreams, generally speaking. Can he? Sure. But he has also chosen to spoke, speak to us through the, the spoken word, the preached word, the scriptures. And so that's the way God primarily speaks with us um, today. Now, Joseph uh, recognized Gabriel because Gabriel had also already showed up and talked to him directly. And so uh, God's just kind of continuing that conversation, sending Gabriel to preach more to Joseph for the sake of, of fulfilling the scriptures, I think that leads right into that. Why does why does the angel send Joseph down into Egypt with the family so that the scriptures might be fulfilled? Ultimately, the scriptures to be fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But even all the little tiny things from the beginning to the end um, are going to be fulfilled by what Jesus does. There's not any scripture left unfulfilled um, that Christ has not completed or found uh, in Himself to be complete. And so all these things go together. The angel, what's the angel's job? To speak God's word. And so what the angel says matches what the scriptures say. And so the angel is, in a sense, bringing about the fulfillment of scripture by his preaching. I, uh, I really like the fact that you said uh, Christians should not be expecting or demanding God to uh, to communicate in this way today we have a clear word from the book of hebrews you know in uh, in many and various ways god spoke in the past but now in these latter days he has spoken to us through his son his son is the word of god incarnate the word of god made flesh the word of god has been written down for us and the scriptures are complete they are fulfilled there's nothing lacking where we need a dream sequence or an extra revelation from an angel in fact paul warns us against any kind of extra revelations from angels because we don't need them and they're often from satan himself and so the scripture is is uh, 
complete. The scriptures are clear. And this is how God communicated his plan to Joseph. And once again, all of scripture is neatly woven together in that golden thread, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, incarnate, taking on flesh for us to live and die and rise, ascend into heaven, and on the last day, return again in power and might and glory. This is what holds all of the scriptures together. Yeah, uh, exactly. And so uh, we shouldn't be surprised. And it's not just Matthew's gospel that does this. Uh, So, you know, not long ago, we were in the season of Lent and reading the Holy Week uh, accounts. Oftentimes, John himself says this was to fulfill the scripture. Uh, And any time that any of the gospel writers quote an Old Testament scripture, the reason they're quoting it is to say, look, this got fulfilled by Jesus. So understand that all the Old Testament it, it points forward to Jesus. It's not old and we should forget about it. It's uh, old in the sense that it is pointing forward to Jesus, and now we have the, uh, the church which is looking back towards Jesus, but Jesus is the linchpin that holds everything together. And that's a great idea for a Bible study, whether you're a pastor uh, preparing for uh, leading the congregation or uh, someone at home. As you're reading the scriptures, as you're reading the gospel text, and uh, it quotes a uh, scripture from the Old Testament, from the Psalms. Uh, It's usually in the footnotes, uh, clearly there. Go look it up. Go look it up in its context. And that in and of itself is a marvelous way to study God's Word. We need to take a break. We're looking at the readings for St. Joseph, Guardian of Jesus Day, March 19th in the church calendar. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. You can join us Sunday mornings at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages, family style in between. We worship uh, also on Wednesday evening, 6.30 year-round. And during those Wednesday evening services, we have a great opportunity to remember and celebrate many of these minor festivals. Today we are looking at St. Joseph, Guardian of Jesus. The church has set aside March 19 as the day uh, to remember and celebrate St. Joseph. And this is a day that always falls almost always falls right in the middle of Lent, and uh, it's often forgotten, sometimes transferred to a different day. And, uh, you know, Pastor made the comment that he may have preached on this one time for a pastor's conference. That's, you know, kind of how these uh, minor festivals get relegated at some point in time. We... uh, Earlier, we read from the uh, hymn, By All Your Saints in Warfare, the verse dedicated to St. Joseph. That's LSB 517 and 518, and that is our intro uh, music for this particular program and many of our Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minor programs. We're looking at the Gospel reading 
for St. Joseph, Guardian of Jesus Day, Matthew 2, 13 to 15, and then 19 to 23. Now, Pastor, in this particular segment, uh, we are going to tap into your expertise, and uh, I'm, I'm not speaking tongue-in-cheek. Sometimes I tease you about things, but I'm not speaking tongue-in-cheek because um, this is right up your wheelhouse. And uh, for those of you that don't know Pastor Moline very well, he is a brilliant historian, and uh, not only uh, Bible history, but uh, all of the things connected in the world surrounding this. And it is... um, this is right after the uh, slaughter, right before the slaughter of the innocents, and Herod is uh, sending his henchmen to uh, go and kill uh, the potential new king, and uh, they are warned in a dream. Uh, Mary and Joseph are warned in a dream, and they flee to Egypt, hence the name, the uh, flight into Egypt. So what can you tell us about Herod? This particular Herod, because it's very, very confusing. You know, it's kind of like the Bob Newhart show. Uh, This is my brother Daryl, and this is my other brother Daryl. And what can you tell us about how far it would be for them when uh, leaving from Bethlehem to go to Egypt? And uh, some of those kind of things that uh, I think our our listeners would be interested in, and for those who are considering uh, teaching or preaching on this text, would be helpful information. Yeah, it's kind of uh, something we don't think about. You know, we think Egypt as its own unique country and uh, different than Israel at the very least. So it feels like they're traveling to a different uh, land. In fact, uh, you know, a couple years ago they were even saying they're refugees, right? Uh, that's that's really not the case. Um, they're all in essence, provinces or dependent states upon the Roman Empire. And so Judea is and Egypt is. Uh, Egypt being very, very important for the Roman Empire because it's kind of their breadbasket. All the flour uh, that makes the bread that keeps the people alive comes from the area of Egypt. And the two of them border up right next to each other. They're probably 100 miles um, between Jerusalem and the border of Egypt, um, maybe even to the first city of Egypt. Um, So it's not that far at all, you know, kind of like Lincoln to Grand Island sort of distance. Um, And so we have them traveling that distance, um, which isn't really a big deal. Now, the Herod bit gets a little bit more confusing because Herod the Great uh, was very creative in naming his children because he had Herod, 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 Herodia, Herod, you know, um, he kind of, his egomaniac uh, nature comes out. Herod the Great um, died in about the year 4 BC. And I say about because we always have a little bit of leeway when we get that far back in history because uh, we're never 100% sure, but he died in about 4 BC. Um, That gives you an idea of the time frame of the birth of Jesus as well. It's not really probably uh, at the year 1 BC or 1 AD. It's probably a little bit before that switch and that shift um, because Jesus is alive towards the very, very end of Herod the Great's life. And in the end of his life, he's dying a kind of delusional sort of death where he is very, very, very paranoid. And that's what brings about the death and the slaughter of the innocents. Um, He even orders his own children to be killed at one point, some of them, and uh, he orders that on his death, uh, all the wealthy people of Jerusalem should be killed too, so that people will actually cry when he dies. This is Herod the Great. 
Now, Herod the Great, uh, when he dies, the kingdom is sort of divided amongst his sons. And this is by order of Emperor Caesar Augustus, who's in charge in Rome at that time, and who's actually the one in control, um, politically speaking. <clears throat> so Herod Archelaus um, is the one who's going to be given control of Judea. Herod Antipas uh, is going to be given control of a different part, and he's the one that we see later at the trial of Jesus and the death of Jesus and then I think also in the book of Acts as well. Herod Archelaus is going to rule Judea, and he is a chip off the old block of his dad. He's still kind of a vicious, cruel guy. He has high taxes. He's uh, famous for uh, killing thousands of the Jews uh, with the military use, uh, according to Josephus. Um, he uh, There's lots of other wicked things that he does, but this is kind of weird for us to think about. Um, the Romans at that time, especially the Caesars, had a soft spot in their heart for the, the Jews because um, part of the Roman civil wars involved Herod and uh, you know the conflict that was in Egypt with Antony and Caesar and all that stuff kind of bled over into that area. So there's a soft spot in the hearts of these rulers for the Jews, and that kind of continues that way until um, later on in the 50s and 60s. So um, when Herod Archelaus turns out to be such a cruel ruler, what the Romans do is take Judea away from him, even before the time of his death, and they make it an official Roman direct-ruled province. And that's then how we get people like Pontius Pilate that are the governor of Judea at the trial of Jesus. And this transition takes place all in this time. So Herod Archelaus, a cruel guy, rules for nine years from 4 BC until um, three or something like that, um, AD, 580. I, it's hard to do the math around there, but I think he ruled for nine years. Okay. So very, very helpful information. You know, as you were, as you were talking about uh, the uh, the ego in uh, naming uh, naming your kids Herod 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 Herodias Herod Herod uh, made me think of George Foreman because George Foreman did the same thing he's got like six kids and they're all named George um, or or a certain pastor I know that tells everybody that uh, they can name their child Clint if it's a son and Clintina if it's a girl no, yeah no, I'm just well, teasing I'm teasing nobody ever takes me up on that though, either <laughs> so uh, they break my heart. Um, so we have this flight into Jesus. Now, th these texts into are Egypt, yep. these uh, into Egypt. Yes, these texts are appointed for the day when we think of Joseph, guardian of Jesus. Now, I think most Lutherans, Pastor, when we when we think of Joseph, it's just kind of an afterthought. Um, you know, jo Joseph is kind of like window dressing with regard to the whole account. He's there on the scene. He's a noble guy. He doesn't put Mary to death. He's there at the temple when they can't find Jesus, so he loses Jesus. And now he's here. Uh, before that, he's here with his flight into Egypt, and then we never hear of him again. And so um, what can we do to properly honor scripture first and foremost and at the same time remember the work of joseph that is very very important with regard to the ministry of jesus 
Well, I think what Joseph does, um, and not to build him up in particular, because again, the focus is always on Christ, but in a sense, he is the uh, the good definition of what a father ought to be. He's not your sitcom dad who's just kind of a, a chubby, lazy bum who's the crux of all jokes. He does a, a lot of hard work to take care of his family, even leaving to go to Egypt. That's a big thing for an ancient Jew. Now, of course, there's Jews in Egypt at that time, but they're the ones who had run away uh, 500 years before and uh, kind of avoided the destruction by the uh, Babylonians. So to go and leave your home, your inherited property there, and to go to this foreign area in their mind, even though it's still Rome, is a big thing. But what's he do it for? To take care of his family. He sacrifices his career and his job and all this stuff to take care of his family. He sacrifices himself uh, over and over and over again, you know, even taking Mary to Bethlehem, taking her to be his wife. Um, You know, it's oftentimes a thankless job, and I think that oftentimes we just overlook it in the scriptures. But he is a faithful and good father figure to our Lord Jesus Christ in that way. I love that, the sacrificial love of Joseph is a picture of the greatest sacrificial love that the world has ever seen, where Jesus lays down his life, sacrifices his life for the life of the world. And uh, I, I, I love that. I love that as a wonderful way to approach this day in this text. And I think that that's the beauty of it then, too, is that that's why Joseph gets overlooked. And if you're a father and that's the case, you know, that's that's okay because that means you're, in a sense, doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is caring for your children. Now, I don't think we should neglect to mention here, too, um, Joseph made sure his son, uh, Jesus, you know, uh, adopted son, went to church, right? So that's, I think that's one of the beautiful things about the uh, the account of uh, losing Jesus at the temple. He lost him at church because he took him to church when he was supposed to take him to church, and that that's part of a father's job. Excellent, excellent. I love that. And uh, you know, here, if you're if you're thinking of uh, transferring this particular day away from the uh, March 19 day, uh, Father's Day would be would be a perfect way to connect, you know, the hallmark holiday of Father's Day with a true biblical feast and a biblical text. So uh, we'll plant that seed. Pastor, in the time that we have left, it says uh, that Joseph, in uh, verse 22 of Matthew 2, Joseph was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Can you talk just a little bit about the fear that Joseph had? Was this a godly fear? Was this a, uh, a, a sinful fear? What, uh, what, what do you make of that? Well, uh, Matthew doesn't say it explicitly here in regard to the fear part, but you'll see just a little bit later he says this is to fulfill the Scripture. Again, uh, the fear is of Archelaus, who's kind of a chip off the old block from his father, Herod the Great. And if Herod the Great is going to kill uh, all the people in Bethlehem uh, to try and eliminate a rival king, what's he going to do if Joseph moves back there and has a kid the right age? You know, So it's that fear to keep his family safe again, to sacrifice himself to keep his family safe. So he leaves his family home of Bethlehem and moves up to Nazareth, which tradition holds as Mary's family home. And so in a sense, too, he's sacrificing that way. Uh, 
Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, Joseph listened to the Word of God. He wasn't perfect, but he listened. He believed it. Thanks be to God. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at St. Joseph, Guardian of Jesus. The day that the church has set aside is March 19 for this uh, special minor festival. In our uh, last segment, we talked that uh, since this date almost always falls right in the middle of Lent and is rarely observed, might be an idea to... uh, Remember, celebrate, honor St. Joseph, guardian of Jesus, on Father's Day. And uh, just, a, just a thought that we'll throw out there. We are uh, now in our third segment. We want to look at our Old Testament reading appointed for this day, 2 Samuel 7, 4 to 16. 2 Samuel 7, 4 to 16. Pastor? That same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel who commanded to the shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel." And I will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Okay. The throne established forever. We want to unpack that statement. We have lots of wonderful, wonderful imagery here going on. Um, 
Nathan is uh, speaking for God. This is we, we, the bulk of this text is a sermon. Um, God through Nathan is preaching, and we have uh, Nathan go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord. Um, we got a pretty good distinction between law and gospel here. The law is right off the bat. Would you build me a house to dwell in? In other words, David, who do you think you are? Am I am I putting too much emphasis into that pastor? Or I mean, David has boldly said, "I'm going to build a house for God." Yeah, and, and God <laughs> says. Did I tell you to build me a house? Well, I think what's happening here again, and I know we've talked about this on other uh, programs, maybe even last week um, when we looked at the Annunciation, um, is that David, in a sense, is kind of getting a little big for his britches in trying to do things on his own time schedule, his own way, rather than uh, letting God work through the the normal procedure that God does, and so David, you know, I, I think it's out of faith, right? You know, look at all these things God has done for me. I'm going to build a temple so that we can worship Him, um, which is you that, know, that is certainly putting the best construction on it. It's pastor. a nice Thank thing you. for Him Thank to you. think about, and yet um, God has arranged His worship a different way at the city of Shiloh at the tabernacle. God has arranged worship for Him in a different way, and. Um, is going to fulfill what he wants in his own time. So David's probably a little big for his britches here, and God's putting him back in his place and saying, I'm the one who's in charge here. Um, starting then, and we're reading Second uh, Samuel 7, starting then in about the middle of verse 8. Now therefore thus uh, you shall say to my servant David. And then he goes through a long laundry list of all the things that God has done for David. Uh, took him from the pasture, took him from following sheep, made him a prince, uh, was with him wherever he went, cut off all his enemies before him, uh, and I'm going to make you a great name. I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them. We've got kind of a sequence going on here where he talks about the past, all the things I've done for you, I'm going to make your name great, present, with future consequences. I'm going to plant them in the land. Uh, past, present, future, God is reminding David who he is and what he has done. Comments on that, Pastor? Yeah, and so you'll see here, now God again is pointing to the things God is doing rather than what David is doing. And I think that we, as Christians reading this particular text, then have to ask the question, why is God doing these things for David? What's so important about David? We could say, well, it's because David was such a faithful guy and we ought to be faithful too. But again, then that's putting the emphasis back on us. We could say it's because, uh, you know, God is... um, uh, not liking Saul and just needed to find a replacement. But again, that takes the emphasis off the right place. Why is God doing all these things for David? To bring about Jesus. He's made this promise all the way back in the Garden of Eden. He's fulfilled that promise, uh, renewed that promise, I mean, with uh, Noah, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Moses. And now the promise has come all the way down here to David. And so God has raised David up so that Jesus can come. 
God has made David king so that Jesus can be king. God has uh, established David's throne forever so that Jesus can sit on that throne forever. And so we have to see why God is doing all these things for David. And then that kind of affects the way um, the building of the temple, right? God's whole uh, nonsense, the the conversation God is having here above about where I live makes us look forward again where? To Jesus, right? The word became flesh and tabernacled or tented amongst us in Jesus, not in a a temple made by hands, not in a tabernacle made by hands, but again in Jesus. And so, in a sense, this whole sermon from God is telling David to look forward to Jesus. Excellent, excellent. Um, And I want to unpack that even more. when your days are, fu- are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, there is, there is no um, beating around the bush. David's going to die. Right. Um, you know, his throne's going to be forever. If he, if he or any of uh, God's followers thought that maybe David would live forever, uh, God's word is clear. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, Pastor, is this offspring uh, Solomon, or is this offspring Jesus? Yes, I mean, it's both. Okay, Help, help our hearers unpack that because with this whole prophetic perspective and uh, rectilinear prophecy and all these kind of things that we talk about with regard to scripture, how does all this fit? Well, so there's oftentimes more than one fulfillment of a particular word of God. And so immediately we have the idea that Solomon is going to become king and and he's from the body of David, uh, uh, interestingly through Bathsheba, um, the, uh, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. But, um, Solomon is going to become king, and Solomon is going to build a temple in Jerusalem. And there's a great deal of uh, the book of Samuel talking about the details of the building and what the temple looked like and the gold and the cedar. Um, And so we have that fulfilled. And Solomon sits on the throne of David in the same way. And yet we also know later on in Scripture that the line of David dies out. In fact, the last king descended from David was cursed to have no more uh, offspring and no more um, uh, the, that line should die off. And yet, um, through a different branch of the family tree, we have eventually Joseph uh, and as well Mary descended from David. And they are then the parents of Jesus, who is the one who tabernacles among us, who is the one who sits on the throne forever, and in fact is coronated on the cross, wearing the crown of thorns, the purple robe, and sitting on the throne of the cross. And so in a sense, Jesus fulfills all of this ultimately, whereas Solomon fulfilled it um, in a sense temporarily. Uh, you you wove all of that together beautifully and uh, connected us back to this day. Uh, St. Joseph, guardian of Jesus' day. This is the Old Testament reading, 2 Samuel 7 and uh, uh, 4 to 16. This chapter is certainly worthy of greater study. Uh, I believe, if I remember right, that uh, Luther has an entire volume in the uh, American edition of Luther's works dedicated to this chapter of Scripture. Now, Pastor, there's one more thing. Um, when he commits iniquity, verse 14, 
I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. Now, help me help me flesh this out, because when I see the stripes, I, I want to think of Jesus being scourged, mm-hmm. but Jesus committed no iniquity. So is this talking about God disciplining uh, David's biological son, Solomon, because he was kind of a stinker? Or is this talking about Jesus being disciplined for somebody else's sin? Well, um, in Scripture, we know of no discipline of Solomon, right? We know of his glory and his wisdom and his power and splendor. And of course, that leads him astray. There is that stinker bit, but we know of no punishment <laughs> yeah, of the whole, Solomon. The whole thousand wives thing, yeah. Yeah, that's an issue. Um, not good. Don't recommend it. Um, it's a problem. Vickers taking notes. But the... The, uh, the, the stripes, the beating that he's talking about is this, the beating of Jesus, which tells us the ultimate fulfillment, not just in Solomon, but then also in Jesus. Now, the iniquity part, um, though he committed no iniquity in himself, uh, he bears our iniquity upon his own shoulders. Uh, and so it's really him being punished in our place that, uh, that uh, Nathan is preaching to Jesus here. Again, pointing us forward to Jesus. So the last word, and you see we're about out of time in this segment, uh, your throne shall be established forever. We're not talking about we need to get on, uh, get on our high horse and rebuild the temple and establish uh, a church in Israel. We're talking about the Christian church. We're talking about the new Israel here. I'd I'd say we're even um, we're talking about God's eternal kingdom here, which you know. So we're talking the invisible Christian church. Yes. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, we need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at our epistle reading, Romans four thirteen to eighteen. Saint Joseph, guardian of Jesus. Don't change that dial. You are listening to K N N A. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're looking today at St. Joseph, Guardian of Jesus. The day the church has set aside is March 19 for this uh, special festival, and we pray that uh, our examination of these texts would be a blessing for you. One uh, suggestion that we uh, threw out earlier is uh, if you haven't uh, celebrated this day on March 19, since it falls in the middle of the Lent, you might want to consider transferring it to a different day in the church here, maybe even Father's Day. Um, the introit for St. Joseph, Guardian of Jesus, Psalm 89, verses 1, 5, 15, and 16, and the antiphon is Psalm 128, 1. The gradual is Psalm 55, 6, and 7. 45. Uh, 45, excuse me. Thanks, Pastor. Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. Uh, and now we want to look at our epistle reading, Romans 4, 13 to 18, uh, 
Lutherans almost always get excited when we talk about Romans 4 and 5 because uh, these are money chapters in the Scripture. Justification by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So Romans 4, 13 to 18. Vicar has joined us. Uh, Vicar, take it away. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Okay, Pastor, we have um, our gospel reading is the flight into Egypt, and we see the faithful fatherhood and the guardianship of Joseph. In our Old Testament reading from 2 Samuel 7, we have a lot of David stuff and how the offspring of David would be the one that uh, is God's promised one. Everybody would be blessed, and uh, the house is going to be built forever. Uh, through his stripes, all these things, his kingdom is going to be established forever. And now, in this epistle reading, we take a pretty significant shift, it seems to me. Um, and the shift is not talking specifically about the person and work of Joseph, guardian of Jesus, and it is not talking about David. We're going back even farther in time to talk about Abraham. So, Pastor connect this text from Romans 4 with uh, everything that we talked about in that uh, third segment with regard to David, how does this also or does it apply with regard to Abraham? Well, I think we talked a little bit about it already, even with David, that David uh, is a descendant from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that the promise of Jesus has been passed down all the way, all the way since the very beginning, and now has come to Abraham, who was called to leave his home uh, in Iraq, um, modern day Iraq, anyways, uh, to go to a land that he didn't know, um, and and called and promised that his offspring would be the offspring through which uh, the world would be blessed, through which uh, there would be great blessings, um, and again, that's pointing us forward to Jesus. And so again, we have this idea of offspring, just like David's offspring is going to be uh, Joseph and Mary and and by extension then our Lord Jesus Christ so too the same thing exactly could be said for David Joseph and Mary being offspring of Abraham okay that's a, that's a wonderful way to weave this together at the beginning of our text Romans 4:13 the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, before we talk about this law-faith uh, distinction or dichotomy that we have in this text, uh, based on your previous comments, am I to understand, 
and help me if I'm hearing you correctly, that the promise God made to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with regard to the offspring of the woman who would crush the serpent's head, the promise that God made to Abraham with regard to his offspring from his, from his own body, from his loins, uh, through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and the promise to David with regard to his offspring and that he would sit on the throne and his kingdom would be enduring forever, that this is exactly the same promise? Welcome to Pastor Moline's Old Testament Confirmation Class 101. I mean, that's what we spend the entire year looking at is that the promise from Genesis uh, is passed down through Exodus, uh, through Kings, through Samuel, uh, through even uh, the time of the prophets, and ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Yes. Um, And, you know, for some of you that are listening, you're probably going, well, duh, Pastor. Um, I don't think we can say this often enough because sometimes we get so bogged down in the minutia and the details that we fail to take that step back and see that it is the one promise, the promise of Jesus that holds all of the scriptures together. And I don't think we can emphasize that too much. I don't think that we can teach our children or be reminded personally too much. God makes a promise and then God keeps his promise. How that unfolds throughout history and all of the sin that people commit, that's what's recorded for us in Holy Scripture. And it is, it is beautifully knit together by the Holy Spirit. It is recorded for us. And I would like to think that maybe we could spend, oh, you know, or 10% of the time that we spend with a Netflix binge uh, to actually read, study, digest, and ponder the Word of God. Okay, now, Pastor, uh, I said I wanted to hold off on the uh, next part. The, uh, The promise does not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Uh, This is something that Lutherans are very, very good at um, teaching, preaching, explaining with regard to the proper distinction between law and gospel. Um, This is emphasized again and again in Scripture throughout the entire book of Galatians. Here in uh, Romans 4 and 5, what are we talking about when we're talking about this, Pastor? Well, uh, the emphasis here, again, is... is bringing about the idea of who's the one that's doing the work, who's the one that's doing the doing. We talked about that a little bit with David building the temple, right? Uh, It's not about what David's doing, it's about what God is doing. And we see that uh, throughout all the history of the Old Testament. So um, it's not that Abraham was, um, you know, a more holy person in the things that he did than anyone else, but rather Scripture is very clear. He believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, we have, uh, you know, for example, Moses. If it was fulfilled, if, if God picked Moses because he fulfilled the law, we have a big problem because as he's on his way to Egypt to set the people free from slavery, uh, his own children aren't circumcised which means he hasn't fulfilled the law. Uh, We see it with David. Um, You know, we 
talked about him in our other segment, where uh, if God picked him because he was a holy and righteous guy who fulfilled God's law, we have a problem when we get to Bathsheba, who his own offspring, Solomon, and even Jesus is descended from. Uh, And so we have these problems where mankind is not fulfilling the law, and if the promise passed on by keeping the law, it would have died off all the way back with uh, Adam and Eve. And so the promise comes uh, through the gospel, through God's working, through what God is promising and doing and filling out. Uh, and so, you know, Paul is emphasizing that reality here with those words. Okay, now I want to stretch that one little bit. You talked about who's doing the doing. In the law, we're doing the doing. In the gospel, God is doing the doing. But here, the contradiction <laughs> is between the law and faith. Isn't faith something that I do, I make a decision for, I achieve, I will oh you foolish baptist uh, no uh, no it's not it is uh you know we have this even in our small catechism the holy spirit calls us by the gospel gathers us into the church enlightens us and sanctifies and keeps us in the one true faith uh, god is the one who works through word and sacrament to create and sustain and strengthen faith within us it is a common misunderstanding and of course i was talking tongue-in-cheek there. Uh, It's a common misunderstanding that faith is the good work that I do that saves me. And if my salvation depends on anything that I do, how would I ever know that I've done enough? Hence, uh, some people will make the altar call five, ten, twenty times in their life just to make sure that they've done enough. And uh, that burdens the conscience Uh, There is no freedom in that. And when we realize that faith is a gift that apprehends, believes, trusts the promises of God, we are truly set free. And uh, I I don't, again, I don't think we can emphasize that too much. All right, Pastor, very, very quickly here. Uh, Abraham hoped against hope. In hope, he believed against hope. Unpack that phrase for us, would you please? Well, this is, again, focusing on Abraham and to understand his life. God promised that his offspring would be the the way through which the whole world would be blessed. He'd be the father of many nations. And yet, uh, here's 100-year-old Abraham and his 90-year-old wife with no children. And they're looking at their life saying, you know, we're really past the time when we can have children. Um, How is this promise going to be brought about? How is God going to fulfill it? And yet, Abraham still heard God's word, believed it by the work of the Holy Spirit, and trusted that God would find a way or bring about a way to fulfill the promise he had made. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Such was St. Joseph, guardian of Jesus. We uh, thank you for tuning in today to uh, Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We have lots of programs with regard to the minor festivals. Check out our uh, archives, KNNA theological programming on your favorite podcast provider. Vicar, would you bring things to a close today by praying the collect for St. Joseph, Guardian of Jesus Day. Let us pray. Almighty God, from the house of your servant David, you raised up Joseph to be the guardian of your incarnate son and the husband of his mother Mary. Grant us grace to follow the example of this faithful workman in heeding your counsel and obeying your commands. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. 
Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele, I'm Pastor Clint Poppy. God's richest blessings in Christ.